Welcome to Unlocking the Truth, a podcast where we discover God's truth for ourselves. Do you want to know how to better study God's Word? Participate in one of our free online workshops happening all the time. If that isn't for you, check out our online Bible study classes. There are tons of studies and times to choose from. For more information on these things, head to our website at www.preceptministries.ca. There, you can also get connected to our social media pages and join our mailing list to stay updated on all that God is doing within this ministry. Now, stay tuned for Unlocking the Truth, a study on the book of Colossians. Hello, everyone. It's Mark Sheldrake here, and this is Unlocking the Truth podcast. Welcome back to another episode as we're walking through the book of Colossians. Uh, We're on week five of Colossians, and my hope and my goal is we'll be a total of nine weeks in Colossians. But the ninth week is going to count on you as the listeners of this podcast. And it would be a wonderful opportunity uh, if you would, at some point along the way, uh, in the next remaining weeks, if you would email me at info at preceptministries.ca. And if you've been studying through Colossians or you've been listening to the weekly podcast through Colossians and God has been speaking to you uh, specifically about something that we've been covering, would you mind sharing that with um, me and sending it to that email address? Because I would love for our ninth week in this podcast to be able to wrap back and share with all of you through that episode what God has been sharing with the people who have been listening with this. And maybe there's just something really small that you've been getting out of the podcast that has been an encouragement for you. But listen, whatever it is, it would be phenomenal to share so that we can then show how God has been using this podcast on a regular basis to make an impact in the lives of those uh, people in Canada. I know that there are people even from outside of our borders who are listening to this on a regular basis. And so I want to thank you for tuning in each and every week and when we've been doing it bi-weekly through Hebrews and Covenant. And I also want to thank you for the notes that you have been sending in of encouragement and that you've been listening and we really appreciate that. Uh, We don't do this just to lift ourselves up, but we do this to make an impact for the glory of God for his kingdom. And I'm so thankful that we have this technology to be able to do that. I just want to point you ahead as well. After the Canada Day long weekend, which is July 1st, We are going to be launching a study for the entire country, anyone who wants to join, uh, going through the book of 1 Thessalonians. And so our podcast at the end of Colossians will take a couple weeks break, and then we will launch that first week of July, and we'll walk through um, 1 Thessalonians, and we will wrap that just before September. So I want to encourage you to always be engaging in God's Word in that way. You can find out more at preceptministries.ca about the summer study as well as uh, getting the material uh, to be able to take part in those classes. Though That information will be up on the website very soon, and I'll remind you next week again that there is an opportunity to get involved and study in that way. Let me commit our time to prayer, and we'll give our time to God. And we'll pray that God will show us some new things as we work through the remaining uh, verses in chapter 2. Father, we do thank you. We thank you that we can um, study your word openly and be able to talk about it over uh, the airways. And Father, I'm, I'm very thankful that we do have this technology at Precept, that we have this ability to record Um, these podcasts and share them over the internet and through our website and through things like iTunes and SoundCloud or wherever you can pick up the podcast. That, Father, people are able to listen to this as they uh, drive in their car or they sit in their houses and share it with family and friends. I'm so thankful that uh, this is an avenue that we have 
to engage more people in relationship with you through knowing your word. So, Father, I pray for our time today. I pray that we would um, learn some truths, but also apply some very important things to our lives, that uh, we would uh, leave our time together when this ends, that we would um, be changing our thought pattern and really be thinking about why we do the things that we do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So last week, we walked through the first uh, 10 verses of Colossians chapter 2, but I want to backtrack a bit because I know that we covered it, and we covered a really long podcast last week. It was almost an hour, and then this week, uh, who knows? Who knows what the Lord's going to bring this time, And uh, but we've got a ton of information that we want to get through, but I want to go back because there's some really great statements in those first 10 verses that are going to help us to understand um, where Paul is headed in this letter in the remaining, um, you know, 12, 12 verses, I think, or 13 verses that we'll cover today. So let's just remind ourselves of where we're at. We're at this um, summary statement of Colossians, which is Paul is showing the, the church that there is the supremacy of Jesus Christ and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. And therefore, because he is over all and he is sufficient enough for all believers, he has walked through these chapters and told us that the mystery is revealed in Jesus Christ, that his desire is to make every man complete in Jesus Christ. And there is no other need for anything else other than Jesus Christ for the point of salvation. You remember last week that as I walked through, I was telling you that there were people that were claiming they had secret ways to salvation. That's not true. Paul says it's all revealed. It's all out in the open for you to know. And so now we're going to go back to some of these statements. Okay, There's so many amazing statements that we're going to come to in the coming weeks, but we've already passed and we want to make note of them. They're repeated phrases within the text. When God wants us to know something, he repeats himself. And so we're going to walk through these really quickly in chapter two. The first is we're going to look at all of these statements of in him. So we need to know what we are in him, what we have in him, and then we're going to watch how he counteracts the false teaching, the people who are against this in him or the gospel plus people and what they're trying to do to promote the best way to be saved or this secret way to salvation. And so in chapter two, verse three, he says, in whom, so in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Everything you need for salvation, everything you need for eternity is in Christ. So you don't have to go looking anywhere else. You don't have to worry about those secrets because everything is in Jesus Christ. In uh, chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So, okay, so now that you, you have everything, you've got all the treasures and the knowledge and you've got it all, now walk it out. That's the second time he said walk it out. He talked about that in his prayer, that the desire was that we'd have the fullness, knowledge, and wisdom, and understanding of God's will so that we would walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. So there's that call to walk in him. Then verse 7 tells us another thing that we have in him. And it says, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your face just faith just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. The question becomes, well, how does one believer become built up in Jesus? Well, I'm going to tell you right now, there's only one way to be built up in Jesus, and that is through the study of God's word. If you want to be built up in him, you want to be firmly established and rooted in your faith, you need to study God's word. You need to know who he is. You know what he's done. And the second part of that is you need to firm up your prayer life. But I want to leave that one because we're going to come back to the importance of prayer 
when we get near to the end in chapter 4 because chapter 4 has a very, very heavy focus on prayer. Paul says, devote yourself to prayer and keep alert. So we're going to keep an eye on that coming in the future. But what what we need to do as believers is we need to build ourselves up in the word of God. We need to be planted on that firm foundation and keep studying and engaging in the text. That's why it's so important for us. And that's the beauty of precept ministries is the fact that you have the ability to study for yourself through the inductive Bible study method and be able to build up your faith and strength in the knowledge of him. Then when you have that, you'll be able to walk it out. So now let's look at the next in him. So verse 9 comes, For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. All right, so in him he is God. Jesus is God. The believer needs nothing else to be filled or to be complete because they can find it all in Jesus. That's what verse 10 says. And in him you have been complete. And he is the head over all rule and authority. Now, if you're not driving in your car and you're sitting at home and you've got a notepad and paper, like I want to give you, you need to give yourself a thumbs up. You need to look to somebody in your house. If you have somebody, if not, look at a pet. Give yourself, give yourself a thumbs up because you're writing out notes and you're following along with what we're going on here. All right. So what you need to see here is you need nothing else um, to be added into your life other than Jesus Christ. He has everything you need. That's why we've started this whole um, summary of sufficiency of Christ. He is everything that you need. All right, so what Paul says at the end of verse 9 and 10 He says that you have Christ. And if you have Christ, you have everything you need. I mean, this is just mind-blowing stuff. We always think we need to add more, and that's what we're going to come to. That can't be it. It can't just be Jesus. There must be more to this. We must have to do more. We must do, 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 do for salvation. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying that we have enough in Jesus. And so now we come to uh, verse 11. And in verse 11, we have another in him. Verse 11 says, In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. You're going to want a star In your Bible, those of you who are writing, those of you who gave yourselves a thumbs up, star verse 10, you have everything, you're made complete in him. Star verse 11, because this idea of the body of flesh uh, is going to follow through all the way into chapter 3. We're going to be told to put off the body of flesh and put on Christ. And so we need to remember these statements as they flow all the way through um, this letter. So, what do we have? He says we have a uh, circumcision that was done without hands. So, there is an act here. So, we got to go back to the book of Genesis. And so, if you go back to the book of Genesis, the first mention of circumcision happens when it comes to the covenant that God is making with Abram. And what the circumcision is doing is showing a separation or a setting apart of Abraham and all his descendants who are a part of the covenant. Those who were not circumcised, those who did not choose to do that, were cut off from the covenant. They were put to death. So as we progress through the scriptures, we're going to see how the circumcision becomes this this fleshly cutting act or this outward showing of a separation, but then as God flows through his word, this is the beauty of it, Genesis all the way to Revelation, they're all one book. That's why we need to study it all, because as we flow through the scriptures, we're going to see that the circumcision 
moves from this act of cutting off flesh in verse in Genesis with that covenant, and it's going to move to the description of I'm going to circumcise your heart, your spirit. You know, we're going to change that that circumcision is going to become an internal. So let's look at a couple of verses that are going to show us that. So the first passage we're going to look at is Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 1 to 6. And it says, So it shall be of all these things have come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and call them to mind in all the nations where the Lord God has banished you, and return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and soul, according to all that I commanded you today, you and your sons. Then the Lord your God will restore you from your from captivity, have compassion on you, and gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are at the ends of the earth, from the Lord your God will gather you from there, he will bring you back. The Lord your God will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed. You shall possess it, and he will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. And verse 6, what he says here, he says, Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, um, and so that you may live. And if you continue on through that passage, you'll see multiple references to the heart. Romans chapter 2. And so in Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, this is what Paul is telling us. He's telling us more about this circumcision of the heart. He says, for he is not a Jew uh, who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. So there's a real separation here that between the law, that circum that kind of circumcision that came through Abraham, that Old Testament, to this new covenant, this circumcision of the heart. Uh, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all talk about this new covenant will come, which is a transformation of the heart. And so now, what Paul is saying in Second uh, in Colossians chapter 2, let's edit that. Now, what Paul is saying in Colossians chapter 2, is that he's saying this circumcision that has occurred is the removal of the body of flesh. It's done without hands, but this circumcision is done by Christ. Now, what's he talking about in cutting off the body of flesh? Well, he's not talking about the circumcision that happens around the male anatomy. He's talking about the removal of of that fleshly life, that life that we were before we were with Christ. And so we want to look at Ephesians chapter 2 because, you know, I love Ephesians chapter 2. It's like my go-to passage when it's talking about the absolute transformation of one who was once against God to one who is now with God. And the greatest contrast in all of Scripture, I believe, is found in Ephesians chapter 2. Now listen to what he says. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even at the rest. So this is the thing. What we're talking about in this circumcision without hands is the removal of all of this fleshly stuff, the desires of our own heart, the things that we sought after before we are of Christ, the things that would build us up, the things that we would want to pursue. I don't know when you became a Christian. I don't know what 
at what age it was. For me, it was nine years old, just a young young boy at a Christian service brigade camp when I asked Jesus into my heart. But I knew even at nine that the life before Jesus Christ was one with trouble. I was in a leader meeting just a little, uh, about a week ago now. And, you know, I just blurted out to the leaders or it was either that or a webinar I was doing. I was telling them that something that happened to me at the age of nine. So I used to have a paper road as a child. And when I was delivering papers at nine years old, because we didn't really have a lot of money in our family, my mom always said, if there's things that you want, you've got to buy them yourself. So I had to get a job. And so here I had a paper route. I'd go door to door dropping off newspaper. This is in the days, you know, when the paper boy would knock on your door and he'd punch the card and collect the money. And so what I would do is I would collect up all that money. But my dad used to leave his wallet and he would come home at 3.30 every day, and he'd leave his wallet on the dresser. And what I would do is I would start to kind of get a hunger and a desire for money, and so I'd go into his wallet, and I'd start with taking, wait for it, now you're going to see my age, $1 bill and $2 bills at a time. And so I would just take those, and then I'd go to the store, and I'd buy candy, you know, and I'd buy soda pop and all that stuff. And then what would happen is it, my heart would start to, to desire more money and I would not I would go take five dollar bills and ten dollar bills and twenty dollar bills and then it came to the point that my dad had figured out something was going on so he started planting bills in the wallet and he knew I was taking them then one day my mom shows up on the paper route she's crying her eyes out she picks me up halfway through the paper route drives me over to the police station the policeman grabs me takes me puts me in a in a rubber padded wall cell in Cambridge, Ontario, and my mom leaves me there, and I don't know how long I'm there. I feel like it was eternity that I was sitting there, but in that moment, when the policeman brought me out back before my mom, the cop looked in my face, and he said, are you ever going to steal again? Stealing is wrong, and I looked in his eye, and I said, I will never steal again, and a couple weeks later, I went to a Christian service brigade camp, and they preached the gospel, and they showed me what sin was. And when I saw what sin was, and I saw that I was living as a child of wrath, there was no way I wanted any part of that anymore. And I got on my knees and accepted Jesus Christ in a camper trailer with two counselors from the Christian Service Brigade while my dad sat back at the fire. I remember it as clear as day. That was the day that I put off the flesh. That was the day that that circumcision of the heart happened for me. And you see, that's what's happening here in Ephesians. What he's saying is, you formally walked according to the prince of the power of the air. You were a child of Satan. You were a child of the devil. You were filled with sin. And then comes verse 4. Maybe it's because of what God has done in my life. This becomes the greatest contrast in scripture. He says, but God, being rich in his mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ by grace, you have been saved. Just think on that for a minute. But God, grace, love, saved. Nothing I could have ever done would have saved me from my sin. Only by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now look what he says in verse 6, chapter 2, Ephesians. Okay, so we were with Christ, saved, raised up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. 
not as a result of works so that no one may boast. We are his workmanship. We are created in Jesus for good works, which we prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Now back to Colossians and look at what Paul says. He says, you've had the circumcision without hands, the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. The work of the cross is what brings about that circumcision, that putting off of the body of flesh and putting on of Christ Jesus. Look what he says in verse 12, buried with him in baptism, which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who has raised him from the dead. The idea of baptism. When I used to explain baptism to the church people that I would baptize, I would say, listen, the work of repentance is you believing in the truth of the gospel. Baptism is the identification with Jesus Christ. When you go into the water, it's like the burial. When you come out of the water, it's like the, re- it's like the resurrection. That's how you identify with Jesus Christ. When you do that, you are telling the congregation around you that this outward action of baptism is showing an inward change of what Jesus Christ has done in the circumcision of your heart. That when you identify with Jesus through baptism, you are telling the world, the telling the people around you, that you have put off the flesh. That you now identify with Jesus Christ. That you now are a child of God. That the work of the Spirit bringing conviction to your heart to show you what sin was, to bring you to your knees in repentance, to ask the Lord Jesus to be Lord and Savior over your life. This is the work that Jesus has done on the cross. Now look what he says in verse 13. Well, verse 13, he says, When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiveness us, forgiven us all of our transitions. He moved you in your position. He moved you from dead to alive. If you were a child of the devil, you are going to face the wrath of God for your sins. If you were a child of God, you are alive. I mean, if you're not jumping out of your seat yet, I don't know what's going to get you out of your seat because this stuff is exciting. I mean, I am fired up. You can't see it, but I'm pretty much jumping around the room right now. If I could touch the roof of this 13-foot ceiling, I would. Because this is what Jesus has done for us. Through the cross, he circumcised our heart. He transformed us. We put off the flesh and we put on Christ. But we don't want to go too far. We'll be coming back to that. He canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. He has taken it on, taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. The idea of this certificate of debt, it was a handwritten letter in which all of your debts were recorded on it. And as they were recorded on it, people would remember the things that you've done. Well, picture it as all of your sins written out and recorded, ready to be judged for what you have done. And then what Jesus did, he took that piece of paper and he nailed it to the cross with himself and his blood was shed all over it and you were forgiven. So the idea is here is these transgressions, these slips, these, you know, kind of falling off the mark, forgiven. The sins are missing the mark. And, and the Bible even describes sin as things that you know are wrong and yet you still do them. I would suggest you take the time to walk through Psalm 19 and see what David says regarding the three types of sin that he has. he's asking God to remove from him, to show him so that he can get rid of them. There's three sins there. There's the sins that I don't know that I'm doing, the sins that I know I'm doing, and still do them even though they're wrong, And then their third one is the sins that completely enslave and rule over me. God, get rid of those things. 
And we have the freedom to be able to do that now because of what has been done on the cross. So as Paul walks through, he's saying, you have everything you need in Jesus Christ. He is sufficient. He's also supreme. I love what he says in verse 15. He says, when he had disarmed the rules and author- rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Well, if you go back to Colossians chapter 2, verse 10, in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. When he died on the cross, when he was buried, and when he was raised again, he became ruler over all. He was ruler over all at creation. In him, through him, for him, all things were created. And so now we get to verse 16, and this is the interesting part. And this is where we're going to walk through. We're going to go through very quickly because we don't want to get caught. There's a lot of information here, and I would challenge you to go back and and look closely at some of these things that are going to come up. Some of these... um, traditions and and kind of wonky teachings that are coming out. So first he says, therefore, no one is to act as judge in regard to the food or drink in respect to the festival or new moon or the Sabbath day. The things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So I'm going to summarize these two state, these two verses into one complete statement for you. All right. What he's telling us is that, one, Christ is sufficient. He's all we need. He's everything. He's done all of the work for us. Secondly, he is ruler and authority. He's over all, and you are a part of his family. The therefore is that there is no legalism that will help you be saved. Legalism is powerless to to save or restore us from sin. This is what Paul wants us to know at the end of the chapter. Go back and study the book of Galatians. Galatians is the gospel plus letter. He says, who has bewitched you, you fools, to think that adding to the gospel is going to make you better or make you saved? You see, as he's walked through Colossians, he said, all you need is Jesus. Jesus has done the work for you. He's ruler over all, and he is sufficient for you. So don't let people judge your standing your position in Christ or your righteousness before God based on what you eat, what you celebrate, or what you do on the day of rest. Don't let people go back to the law and tell you that you're not doing the things according to the law Therefore, you're not saved. And so we have to pause and you have to think about that because we're people that love traditions. We love traditions. We love putting them in place. Churches do not want to break from traditions because those are the things that we've always done. But what Paul even tells us here is, here are the markers for salvation. The other things don't make us sufficient. It's Jesus. So, you know, having complete rest on the Sabbath and and some of the rules behind that, I can't remember the exact uh, footage or how many steps the the Jewish man can take on on a Sabbath before it's considered doing work. Or we must celebrate these Old Testament festivals in order to be righteous before God. Or that we must not eat things that are unclean. The most interesting thing, if you ever want to participate in one of the greatest trips of your life, it would be to go and take part 
in an Israel tour with precept. The flight alone over to Tel Aviv will show you the things that the Jewish men do in order to be sort of righteous and keep their righteousness before God. Um, the work that's not done on the Sabbath. I, I love the, the, the Shabbat elevator. Do not push that button because that is work on the Sabbath to get you up the floor. I'll never forget the time that I was in Israel and I saw a man and he was carrying a stroller and this was at Passover. He was carrying a, a, like a stroller with, you know, the big thing with the four wheels and he had the, the little bucket that the child goes in and connects into the stroller. He had a diaper bag and he had another suitcase and he was dragging that up a spiral staircase and he was sweating like crazy because he had all of his his clothing on for for Passover. His family was celebrating Passover at the hotel. And I looked at this man and he was I wanted to help him, you know, but no, you can't you can't help you can't offer help because they they're not going to really mix with with a Gentile. And so what I did was when he got to the top of the stairs, and I kind of try to diffuse everything with humor. If you know me in any way, that's kind of the thing that I do. And I looked at this man as he was sweating like crazy, and he did not take the elevator. I said, boy, you know, that looked like a lot of work. It probably would have been easier to push the button. And I kind of smiled. He smiled. We looked at each other. And I think he just, for a moment, thought, well, that guy, that Gentile guy, he's right. But all these things that get added in, and then you're judged based on those things, whether you're saved or you're not saved. Uh, Paul's saying, don't let people do that. Yeah, these things are a mere shadow of what is to come. Uh, study through the book of Hebrews. You'll see in chapters 8 and 10 that the tabernacle uh, was a mere shadow of the things to come. The law was a shadow of the things to come. Uh, Galatians tells us that the law was a tutor for us that pointed us to Christ. And so all of these things are a shadow, a mere shadow of what was to come. Now, here's the reality of Colossians. Christ already came. And when Christ came, there's no need for the shadow anymore. He is sufficient. And so everything we have is in Christ. The shadow has no value. And that's what Paul's saying in these verses. Verse 18, he says, let no one, this is an important instruction to, to focus on, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and worship of angels and taking stands on visions he has seen, inflated without cause because of his fleshly mind. So there's a couple things we want to look at here. The idea of defrauding you is to rob you of your inheritance. It's to rob you of the prize that you have. Um, the idea would be to um, other letters in the New Testament, uh, introducing secret destructive heresies. Things that will draw you away from the sufficiency and supremacy of Jesus Christ. To focus on the traditions of men. But what Paul does is he shows us here in this, pa this passage the ways or the means or the attitude in which we are defrauded. The first is in self-abasement, uh, the pride, the pride that creeps in that I am more righteous than anyone else because I do these things. Now, I once was in a small group with a group of men and the small group leader used to go around the room in a time of accountability. And he used to sit and he would say, do you know um, that uh, we must read the word of God? We must study the word of God each week. 
And so as we went around the room, the different guys would say, oh, I didn't have time to study God's word this week. I had a lot going on in my life and there's a lot of work going on. And, you know, my kids were crazy. And every time I opened the Bible, something happened. And my wife wanted me to do something and cut the, I mean, every excuse in the book for people who wouldn't be reading the Bible. Now, the interesting thing was I'd they'd come around to me and they'd be like, so Mark, hey, what have you been doing in the Bible this week? And I'm like, well, I've been working through First uh, Thessalonians and Colossians and Philippians. And I taught Mark and, you know, I'm studying Acts. And, you know, I'd start rhyming off all these things. And you know what it looked like to those other guys? It looked like this guy was uh, righteous, holier than thou, you know, like, oh, he's the best Christian and got to live up to that guy and do all these things. Uh, Christ is sufficient, but you know what? There is a desire in Peter. He tells us that we need to grow in the knowledge of salvation. We need to grow and study the word of God. We got to be in it, but we got to be in it because we want to be in it. Not because it's going to make us more righteous or more saved, but not because we have to be in it because that's what we're told we need to study the Bible, but because we want to, because we want to grow more and more like Jesus Christ. We want to build ourselves in the sanctification process so that when Christ returns, we are ready. Not because we have to, not because it makes us more righteous, but because we want to. And so this is the desire that he says. So don't do things for pride, to look good, to build yourself up, to make yourself look holier than thou. That's not the reason. The second is one that would haunt the Colossian church for years and years, and that is the worship of angels. If you remember uh, Revelation chapter 22, uh, there is um, John, and he has an interaction with an angel, and, and we learn from this angel how wrong it is to worship angels. He says, I, John, verse chapter 22, verse 8, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. When I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But he, the angel, said to me, do not do that. I'm a fellow servant of yours. Um, and then he says uh, that you're of yours and your brethren and the prophets and those who heed the word of this body. And then he ends with a statement, worship God. Uh, you can go back to Exodus and see what God feels about anybody worshiping anything other than him. Uh, you'll find a statement in there. I am a jealous God. You worship God and God alone. And, and yet here, um, part of the process of uh, more holier than thou righteousness or this legalism was you need to worship angels man well paul says no don't get caught in that don't get caught in pride don't get caught in the worship of angels and then don't have anybody lead you with visions that they have seen visions that are inflated and uh, without cause by the fleshly mind. So a couple of things we want to look at real quick here. First, fleshly mind, spiritually dead. Okay, No connection to God. This vision that comes is totally self-made. Now, I don't know the whole story, but I'll tell you really quickly. I went and um, watched a six-part series on Netflix called Waco. And it all goes back to the David Koresh, um, big, big kind of deal that happened in Waco, Texas. And in, I think it was in the 90s. I can't remember the exact date of it. But here was a group of people in a compound that believed that David Koresh was the Messiah and that the visions that David Koresh had was that the fifth seal from the book of Revelation would be opened and that fifth seal was that the government would invade the compound. Well, what happened? They had amassed themselves a lot of guns and, and ammunition as though they were going to war, and the government invaded the compound. Do you know what all the people, according to the, 
documentary and some of the and the documentary is all and the show's all based on witnesses that were inside that cult. And so that what they were told was that when the government showed up that the vision that David Koresh had was that was the return of Jesus Christ that David was the Koresh was the messenger of opening the seals of revelation now if you look back at what happened all of those people believed that they were servants of God that they were doing the right thing for God that they needed to protect the compound, that the fifth seal was opening and therefore they needed to get ready for the, the, the coming of Jesus Christ and they were all led astray. Um, I can't remember the number, but for me to watch back through the documentary and, and see the children and the mothers of the children and the people desperately wanting to get out when that compound was on fire but yet too blind to see early on that the visions that this man were having were built in pride of himself, that he wanted to be worshipped, that he wanted to be adored, he wanted to be called Messiah. And what Paul says is, don't be defrauded by people like that. Christ is sufficient for you. There's nothing more that you need. Everything has been revealed to you in Jesus Christ. I mean, this is, this is phenomenal stuff. Uh, not holding fast, he says in verse 19, not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with the growth which is from God. Uh, verse 19, very simple. We can summarize this as you can't grow apart from God. You can't grow in your relationship with God. You can't grow as a believer if you are separated from him. If you follow down the lines of being defrauded and falling into the trap of all of these things, you'll end up separated from God. You need God to grow. Now look what he says in verse 20. If you've died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world... Why is it you're living in the world? Don't submit yourself to decrees such as these, things like don't, do not handle, do not taste, which all refer to the things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion, self-abasement, severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Hey, uh, this is really, really simple, all right? It is this, that these things are not spiritual and you can't take value in them. So all of these things that we have here, they're all outward appearance things. They're things like do not touch, do not taste, all things that we can see on the outside, they're not things that directly relate to the inward change that has occurred. And so what he's telling us is we don't want to follow these commandments and teachings of men that tell us we need to do these things in order to be saved, but we need to remember that we have everything we need in Jesus Christ. These things, they will appear as good things for us. They'll appear to be the right thing to do because they'll make us holier. Uh, beating our bodies into submission and, and treating them this way, it says they have no value in dealing with fleshly indulgence. Uh, I'll tell you, um, to wrap us up in our time, the most interesting thing. Uh, one time I had a, a, a slight um, health issue in which I was kind of a little overweight. So I was doing ministry and, you know, I was not the size of the guy I am today. And so what I had done was I had determined to beat my body into submission, to lose a certain amount of weight and to kind of get back to, to my glory days of athleticism. And so I worked hard and I beat my body and I ate only certain things and 
and uh, stayed away from some of my biggest cravings in the world. And I started to kind of lose all kinds of weight. At one point, 115 pounds. And so when I lost all that weight, everybody was worried about me and they told me to go to my doctor. So I walked into my doctor's office and my doctor shook my hand and said, congratulations on losing all that weight, but you can't beat genetics. I didn't know how to respond at that point, but basically what my doctor was telling me was, you can beat yourself into submission. You can do all of these things to extend your life, to be healthy, to do all these things, but you're still going to die. You can't beat the fact that you will die at some point, whether it be from heart disease, which is in our family, or whatever the case may be. All of these things you're doing, they, will be, they can be good for you, but they don't actually meet the end purpose. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't keep healthy and keep strong and, and treat ourselves properly. But it's the things that are of the spiritual nature that we need to focus on. We need to make sure that we fully understand Paul's desire and prayer that he had for us is that we are mature and fulfilled in Christ. That we are not deluded by these destructive teachings that we do not add to the gospel so to prove our righteousness, that we fully grasp and know that all we need is Jesus. And through the fact that all we need in Jesus, what we have in him, the result that we want to continue to grow and be sanctified and be like him. So the challenge is, what are you adding to the gospel? Are there things in your life that are above and beyond the supremacy of Jesus Christ and the sufficiency of Jesus? Do you fall into the trap of being defrauded by those things that look good but are not good? Well, the simple truth is, next week we'll find out what we need to do to avoid all of these things. Paul gives us clear commands in chapter 3, and he's going to tell us if we've been raised up this is where our focus should be. Not on the things and the traditions of men, but on something else. So join us next week as we look at the beginning of chapter 3. Father, we do thank you again. We thank you for all that you are showing us in the scriptures. We thank you that we can walk through these verses and your spirit can convict us of the things that we need to change. Father, so many of us live in a life where we toe that line of adding things to the gospel to so prove our salvation. Help us to know that we have everything in your son, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.